hi everybody. Thanks for tuning into the Leeds Book Club podcast. Um, we're delighted to be joined today by Ross Young, the author of the, the Gloomwood series. The first book, Deadheads, is out at the moment on Amazon. Hi Ross, thank you very much for joining us. That's okay, it's nice to speak to you. So tell us a little bit about, um, about Gloomwood. This is a, a new world that you've created and uh, I believe that Deadheads is your first novel. It is, yeah. Um, I mean, Gloomwood is essentially it's the afterlife, but um, who it's for and who's supposed to end up there varies. There's lots of um, there's lots of reasons why people end up there, which I haven't alluded to too much in the first book. And mm. um, essentially, it's it's full of a, a lot of different characters from different walks of life who essentially end up dying and then having to continue living in a in a twisted kind of way. And um, it's it's not the happiest place. And lots of people who end up there spending their time working in their dead-end jobs just to carry on existing rather than living. So uh, when I when I think about it like that, it's it's horribly depressing actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I read something online. I don't know whether it was yourself or a review of the book, and they said Gloomwood, the town that makes you realise there's worse than death. Yeah, I I can't remember if it was me or someone else either, but it's definitely the case. There's a I think there's a lot of the story that alludes to the fact that if somebody dies, um, how can they die again? Yeah. It's a question that I'm uh, I'm turning around a lot in my head, I suppose. Um, and there's a lot of a lot of um, discussion of that in the novel. If somebody's dead, and obviously it is a crime mm. novel, it's about a mystery, and and murder is is supposedly the most abhorrent crime that we can think of. Yeah. And we've got these people who are existing, uh, how can they be murdered if they've already died? Yeah. Um, and so I, I've suggested that, that that's the end, they, they turn out of existence. But mm. then we've got to wonder, what does a removal from existence actually mean? Could people even remember someone who was removed from existence? It's, uh, it's, it's a personal one, and that, I think that's what um, that got me thinking about it in the first place, is we're, we're always thinking about, everyone's always thinking about what comes next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not a very religious person in the first place, which is probably quite apparent from the uh, from the book. There's a certain but, irreverence, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I suppose the question is, if, if someone dies and they're supposed to go to this afterlife, is it eternal? Mm-hmm. And if it's eternal, what sort of thing can happen there? And it's it's basically trying to put a a bent on the afterlife that makes it into into what we already know and yeah. what we already experience from being alive. So, um, I mean, it, it sounds pseudo-intellectual when I put it like that, but really, it's just me messing around well, with a bunch of ideas. It's, it's, it's a really interesting book because it's structured, as you say, as, as a sort of surreal whodunit. And you've got a motley crew of characters that are all working you know, against the clock to try and solve um, a crime. And that's brilliant. But you've also managed to work in quite active descriptions of Gloamwood itself, so that the land that you're based in, I mean, Blunt has to as much navigate his new environment as he does the misdirection that he's being sent in by various potential bad guys. Um, And I I found that so interesting. The other thing that I thought just really added to it is the characters that populate Gloamwood are people, but they're also gods that nobody believes in, ideas and concepts like the world being flat. And I was, I just found this, I've never come across anything quite like it before. And and the fact that they're all miserable, (laughs) you know, uh, it should have led to quite a one note tone, but it's a very funny book. Oh, I'm glad 
I'm glad that you think so. And I mean, that that part with the the gods and the the hopes and dreams, particularly, it, I thought there was something very sad about the fact that people have had these hopes and dreams and people believe in these things mm. and then they stop. Um, and I thought, I mean, it, it is crushingly sad to think of these things that have died and have never been alive in the first place. Yeah, we were on a, a physical form, and and basically all all they've got is the fact that they were never alive. And now that they are alive, nobody gives a monkey's about them. I thought that uh, epitomised so perfectly in that policeman who's all but given up hope. Yeah. Um, just, I mean, Blunt, Blunt's a good character and he's a fun character, right? Because he was miserable as hell when he was alive. Mm. Um, you know, he was, he was a mess as it was. And he died and he's been given an opportunity to do something useful, have a purpose, which yeah. is something he's been lacking in, in life for so long. But he's dead, and he's no one's going to be jumping up and down about the fact that they've just died. Yeah. Um, so give that to somebody who's incredibly miserable as it is. And um, it, it was quite interesting because it, it, I mean, he's, he's a sarcastic, um, nasty piece of work at the end of the day. Mm. Um, but I, I actually quite like him. He's, I really like the guy, which is something that shouldn't happen. Um, so I suppose he's he's, a, he's not really an anti-hero, but he he fits. He's not your, your typical uh, leading character, I don't think. No. So he does fit a lot of the stereotypes of the downtrodden detective at the same time. Well, um, but it, but he's he's um he's a joy to read because as you say, I think he he turns a lot of those stereotypes on his head. You know, he's not St Sam Spade. He's not stoically continuing on despite all of this crap that's happening. He's a miserable moaner, and he's quite happy to whinge at the drop of a hat. And yet, I really like him. Nothing about this character is likable except for everything. Yeah, um, I'm really glad you think so because that that was the aim, and I I didn't. There's the kind of, as you said, Sam Spade character and these these stupid types and this this kind of um, modern day Jack Reacher characters that you've got people yeah. like that who are just at the end they're they're going to fight through because of what they believe in and all this kind of stuff and um, um, it just doesn't it doesn't really ring true and I think it's it's a joy to read I like reading things like that mm. I genuinely do mm. um, but I think that it's it's nice to see someone who's doing it because they have to is. He hasn't really got a lot of choice. Yeah, um, it's not like he's being noble. <laughs> no, that's it. There's, there's no nobility in, in him. He, he isn't doing it because he thinks that's what's right, that's what's best for everyone. He does it because he feels the need to trudge towards the end of things so that they'll be over. That's That seems to be the um, there's certainly the impression that I got. It's a funny thing when you're writing a character because they, they come to life as you're writing them. And I didn't sit down and think, right, I'm going to make um, blunt into this this horrible, miserable sort who doesn't want to do anything. Mm. Um, it, it kind of falls into place when you think about them more, and it and it just it just begins. You get realizations about the character, and just think, wow, that that's it's very strange. It's not it's not the kind of character that I probably would have set out to write in no. the first place. Um, and he ends up. Hello. Oh, sorry, I, I lost you for a second there. Could you repeat that? Uh-oh, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Uh, I just okay. lost you after you were saying um, that he was, it wasn't necessarily the character you set out to write. No, not at all. Um, and I think I probably would have gone more for one of those stereotypical characters, but Blunt, Blunt uh, 
led me down his path, if mm. you like. Mm. And you end up uh, writing the, the character that the character should be, not a character that you want them to be. And I think that, that's quite important. Um, it wouldn't work otherwise. Yeah, I, I quite like the fact that um, once he's dead... And um, and I've I've said in my review, there's something so delightful about watching somebody who's been hit by every branch of the tree in life and then dies and discovers that he has to do it again. But um, his character does evolve, uh, and I think it's it's most obvious in his interactions with Ralph and um, and Sarah. Um, you know, when, yeah. like he he, in a weird way, he brings out the best in Ralph. I don't think Mortimer would want to see it like that, but he. He orders him and he makes him think and he makes him react. But Sarah brings out the best in Blunt because she's intangible. And I think he's he is a little bit sensitive to her state. You know, he she she changes him, she she makes him a little bit less of a douche, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair way to put it. I think that there's um certainly the fact that she is disappearing all the time and not all there. Mm. I think for Blunt it's it's quite a thing because he does think very little of himself. Yeah. Um, and that that's something that's quite crucial to his character. He doesn't rate himself particularly well in any aspect of his life. Yeah. But to see someone who's at an even worse position than he is, um, it, it makes him think. And I think that because in life he was so miserable for so long, to be around people who are actually interacting with him, because the certainly the the idea that I was trying to put across is that he's an incredibly lonely person Yeah. until he died. And although he thinks it's all much worse, all of a sudden there are these people that he has to interact with and he has to do something with those people. Yeah. He can't just lock them away. He's, he's not in a position where he can just look after himself. He's got no idea what's going on. He's completely lost. So he relies on them. And it's quite, I think that's quite a powerful aspect to it, that it's genuinely a rehabilitative society because, I mean, the, p the police up until this point are, are just thugs for hire, you know. There's no actual discipline or, or rule of law. But with, with Blunt, he's, he's faced that once he catches the culprit, what do you do with it then? As you say, it's not like you can punish them. It's not like you can kill them. You know, he can't put them on death row. And particularly in, th in this book, as we start to unravel some of the layers, you begin to realise that the motivations of the not-so-newly-dead are totally different from living characters. Yeah, um, and that's, that's one of the most fun things to play with. I mean, the, the, writing the book was a lot of fun at the end there because I'm getting to play with lots of ideas mm. that, um, that I, don't, I don't often get to read about. And I know that sounds strange, but writing the book, and I've, and I've written for a long time, but writing this one was me saying, right, well, I haven't read about these ideas and I, and I want to explore yeah. what happened with them. And it's very difficult to... Uh, to think of the motivations of somebody who isn't alive, because all of our motivations at the base level... Are about survival. Yeah, exactly, and we have a limited time. Um, and the people in Gloomwood don't, and mm. I think that's something that is... It's getting more and more difficult, to be honest, to think, how would that affect you if you... They're not immortal, because um, they're already dead. Yeah. And time, they've got forever, so it's, 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 quite, it's quite a bit of a... Um, I don't know what you feel about language, but I know what I would use there to describe that. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's quite messed up. It's a bit fucked up, yeah. We put language warnings on all of our podcasts. Speak away. <laughs> one of my, um, my favourite things in it, um, and it happens relatively early on in the book, is you provide the Grim Reaper with a backstory. 
Um, yes. I, you, you've come up with what has become my definitive version of why the Grim Reaper looks the way he does, what happened to him, how that works. I mean, I'm, and I, I read it, I think I must have read it about three times before I could continue to the, re the rest of the chapter. It was, it's just such a perfect little moment. How did something like that come about? What's it like taking on, you know, death and making him your own? <laughs> well, um, I mean, I, I'm, uh, although it might seem odd, I'm, I'm a scientist at, at heart. Mm. Um, so I, I, I looked at the character and thought, well, how could he get here in the first place? And it was a matter of taking steps backwards yeah. to see where he could come from. And it was great fun, and, and you're not the first person to say that either about that part, because it, he's this um, terrifying figure in a lot of fiction yeah. um, who's so unknown that it just adds to the mythos around him. And then the Grim Reaper in Gloomwood isn't the same as you might find elsewhere. He's, he's not quite as ominous. Mm. Um, and I wanted him to become more human. And to do that, I had to explain where he came from in the first place. Yeah. Um, and it, it wasn't easy. And I went, went backwards and forwards quite a few times about how. Um, and that... that from the boot. It just kind of came together, and I don't really know why. Um, I think maybe I spent too long thinking about where the Grim Reaper came from. Well, <laughs> together, um, but I, I did enjoy that. It was, it's, it's something that's again, it just leads to the fact that you're trying to create something completely different. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to remove myself as much as possible from past incarnations of death. Yeah. As a, as a being, and I think that. Um, it's quite difficult because because we all have this picture of death in our heads, um, and he does look the same yeah. as we imagine. But there's something far more flawed about him in the in the Gloomwood series than there is in others. And and then, and the important thing for me was he's just a person yeah. who looks terrifying, but he was just a person who did something amazing. But he, he's got to live with that, or, or be dead with that, even um, forever now. And it's, there's going to be a lot more coming up about the Grim Reaper, and I'm, I'm hoping to explore him quite a lot more, because I think that um, he's probably the most interesting character when you start to think about what he's done yeah. and where he's come from. Um, there's certainly a lot there, and there's a lot of questions about what does he really do? He's, he's essentially a figurehead, mm. but it, it doesn't appear to do anything ever except be scary. Yeah. Um, and it, and it turns out that he's not particularly scary. I mean, I love the fact that in his office, he's got um, model cats and things everywhere, and it's it's like a, an old knitting lady's room. Yeah. Um, he's just not quite right, and that, that's the point. He's not really anything that people want him to be, but he's stuck. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's quite interesting. But his, his backstory was, was essentially, it wasn't just his. It had to be a creation story for the whole of Bloomwood as well. Yeah. Because they they work hand in hand, and I, I did enjoy that, and it and it is crucial that that worked. If that didn't work, the whole thing would fall apart. I think. I, I think I think you're right. Um, not because the story is not strong in its own way, but it was it was the first time you took on a cultural more in in your writing, and I think that if it hadn't, you know, if it hadn't come together quite as well as it did, it'd leave the reader a little hesitant. Oh God, is that. You know, is that all they could come up with for that? Whereas instead, you get to that point, and I, you know, my, I was doing that thing where I was tapping my feet against the floor, kind of going, "Oh my god!" You know, um, for one thing, the Grim Reaper has a human origin story, which a lot of a lot of us, you know, that's that's not something we're we're led to believe. But there was another um, sort of 
counterintuitive um, character as well called Petal, who looks like a brick shithouse um, and is blue, I seem to recall, but yeah. is incredibly compassionate and very honest. And he appears throughout the book and you're never really given any sort of sense of what's going on there, but I found him very interesting and I believe he's, he's going to be in the next one as well. Yes, he, he plays a bigger part in the next one, which is, um, there's a little hint dropped at the end of this one about, um, basically, it does follow on. I tried to make them as separate as possible, but it, it follows on because it's uh, it's fun to drop a teaser in yeah. um, as to what's coming. And it's a, it's a lot more focused on Petal, who I think is, is a very interesting character. I mean, we don't, it's not really revealed to us what exactly happens in the past. Mm. Um, and there's obviously something to his relationship with uh, Johnson. Yeah. Who's spent his time with. And, um, and there's, there's obviously something more than just a friendship there, but we don't know where that came from. And we don't know why he's, I mean, he's, he's again a scary guy, um, but obviously only externally. Um, and that's going to be quite interesting to explore that in further detail. Like I say, quite interesting, but it's, it's been written. It's just, uh, it's just taken some time to be uh, polished, if you like. because I, I really liked him. Yeah, I did, and I thought after I'd written him and I'd, and I'd finished the book, I was I was a bit saddened that he had such a tiny role. So I might have to go back and find him and uh, find some room to do because he was he was very odd and he was a very good representation of what people end up like in Gloomwood. Mm. Um, because he went from being a thought that the entire globe at one point sure. it wasn't close. Downslide, you've created a scenario where because it's weird and wacky and wild um any of the inhabitants could probably carry their own story because any of the inhabitants will have a backstory that's beyond anything that we as the living have experienced but i do hope that blunt is back i hope that um that we get more stories with him in it, just because I really, I really like him. <laughs> the big bastard. He's a bastard that he is, he is likeable. Um, he's, he's never going to be let alone because he is too interesting. 
and he, he is a, a reasonable representation in Gloomwood of, of an everyman character. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he's a miserable as hell one. But, um, the, I mean, there's, there's a recurring problem in fiction, and particularly in the kind of um, indie fiction that is written where people want to write, and I think that it stems from a, a lack of experience, people want to write about themselves um, into a novel. And so they come up with those characters. They call them Mary, Mary Jane Sue. characters. Mary Sue's, isn't it? Mary Sue's, yeah. yeah. Um, and because I read quite a lot of indie fiction, because I want to get an idea of, of what else is out there, um, I'm, I'm quite often put off by that. And I think that it's it's one of the issues with, with writing now, with the big boom of all the Amazon stuff and Smashwords and all these things where you can release a book mm. at the end of the day. Um, with little or, or no protection from anybody else, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you've got people who are, are putting things out there next, next to works that are very good, that are unfortunately not very good. They're not up to the same standard. Yeah. Um, and it's it's this recurrent problem. And I, I was thinking about this quite a lot. And I think that it's it's going to it's it's going to affect people quite badly, and it already is affecting people quite badly. You put a lot of time and effort into something, and it's. Um, unfortunately, not being told by enough people that they need to work on it more. Yeah. Um, and that's that's one of my, my biggest fears, is just why the second novel in the series is still sitting there waiting, um, because you don't have that support behind you to release it, um, and think, yes, okay, it is good enough, I've got the opinions of all these people, because there is always a question mark of, well, what what would I say to somebody who'd shown me their work? Yeah. Um, would you be that brutally honest with somebody who's put all that time and effort into it? Um, and would it be unfair? It's that whole—it's the whole world that we live in at the moment. I see it, for me, it bothers me a lot because you see it. It's the whole X Factor kid generation as well. Um, who's going to tell them that they shouldn't go on television in the first place? And then you've got the same with with the music industry in general. Lots of people are releasing music online everywhere, mm. and it's become such a massive marketplace. But I think that getting voices out is difficult, which is why this whole Mary Sue thing, and why Blunt was so important to me as the central character of this book, he had to be removed yeah. from any of that associations whatsoever. So he, I suppose he was, in some ways, he was always going to end up being a, a nasty shit at the end of the day. <laughs> we can't make it too easy for him. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. Well, tell us a little well, bit about your, your writing style. I mean, you said that you've been writing on and off for years, but it's not your, your primary job. I mean, is it a case of discipline, of just sitting down and getting the words out, or is it a case of compulsion? You have the story in your head and you need to get it down on a page. Well, for me, it's definitely a compulsion. Um, if it was discipline, then I, I reckon I would have got a lot more writing done. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's it's a need at the end of the day. I mean, I'm, I spend a lot of time daydreaming and thinking about things and stuff like that. And questions like those that I've written about in the um, in the Gloomwood series are ones that I I will sit and ponder. And they're not always the questions that you would bring up in normal conversation. <laughs> you know, what what would happen if somebody already dead died is not something that I would ask somebody at breakfast. Yeah. You know? Do you think um, it hurt the R Grim Reaper? What? <laughs> Find it very therapeutic in a way to, to 
that for me is to write and find out what would happen, how does it work. In the um, absence of empirical evidence, you will create your own origin stories. That, that's it, yeah. Um, so <laughs> it, this book scared me when I was writing it because I was like, am, am I stepping over a dangerous spot? I mean, fortunately, it's written with very tongue-in-cheek and it's supposed to be humorous. Mm. Um, but if, if it had been written seriously or with too much, um, how would I put it? With a little bit too much emphasis on where everyone's coming from and stuff like that behind it, would I be attempting to create a religion? I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but you get very paranoid when you spend so much time writing something, mm. and then you start to think, well, what would a certain person I know think about just the ideas, not not having read it, yeah. just the idea? There are some people who might be quite upset, and then, and that that's quite awkward as well, and that comes a lot. I think that's why a lot of people who write, write for themselves. Um, in the first place as a compulsion to get ideas out mm. um, without going and asking very strange questions of people um, that don't have answers. So it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a philosophical thing, I suppose, of writing is a release mm. for most people. It certainly is for me. It's a, it's a release of ideas and thoughts, particularly the weirder ones, um, to get them out on into a physical form almost, or a digital form as it is. Yeah. And should be your logo. <laughs> Read my book. I'm an incredibly selfish person. Um, <laughs> that would be quite a blunt way of, uh, of going about and selling yourself, wouldn't it? You know, yeah. hire me. I'm the only one who gives less of a shit than you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it, well, uh, sadly, I think that that's what a lot of people who write are probably afraid to admit. It's very self-indulgent. Um, and some people made the mistake of being too self-indulgent, and then uh, and then it becomes a problem. But it, it is a um, it is a self-indulgent process. How can it not be? You're, you're doing it by yourself well, and repeat. I, I you know I, I suppose to a certain extent I can see you know the, the a certain element of self-indulgence, but I also think. I think sometimes, and I think it's definitely happened in the case of, of deadheads, these things take on a life of their own. I mean, throughout our conversation, I think I was the one that started it. I've just automatically assumed that it was a series. I was very relieved when I got to the end of the book to see, although I think it's a very bold move to announce your next book while I presume you're still writing it. Um, but I was I was relieved to see that there'd be more. And I think there's... When when I'm listening to you talk, you're very you're very confident in the world in your head. You know, it's it's you you see the geography to it. You're working out the rules for it. And sometimes when when stuff gets like that, you just have to have to get it out. You have to share the story because you'll never get to talk to a bit about it with anybody otherwise. That's that's exactly it, and that and that's that's the best thing about um, speaking to someone who who has read the book is and there. And it's happened quite a lot when I went back to the UK and saw people who had asked to read the book, um, who had questions, and sometimes I, I didn't have an answer, which which is brilliant for me because that that's really exciting because then I have to think about well what is the answer? But there must be one. If there's not there's not just an emptiness there. It's not mm. just a blank. It's not something I'm going to shy away from. I'll get to it for book seven. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. You'll find out sometime, hopefully before I run out of words. 
Because um, I know a lot of us, a lot of us that have you know put comments up on Amazon, which I very rarely do, but I, I it's a it's, it's a I really enjoyed reading it. Um, but I noticed that a lot of us are kind of going one thing. Where's the yeah. food coming from? Yeah, that one. Um, that is that is actually going to be a whole novel based on one. And the question should be, why does nobody ever ask? Because Blunt doesn't ask that question when he's sat there in that cafe with uh, Mortimer and they're eating. He's he's confused as it is, but he doesn't say where does the food come from in the first place. And I I don't know if people want to know the answer as well as the other thing because it's not pleasant. And that's all I'm saying. Oh, I've gone to a Soylent Green place. No, it's not. It's not quite there. <laughs> and that's our first spoiler so far of the interview, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> that's, that's all I'm giving away. I'm staying very tightly. I, I have to, otherwise I can't stick to the ideas. <laughs> so you're, um, you're an independent author, which, by which I presume you mean you're self-publishing. Yes, I do. I mean, I, I don't shy away from that self-publishing either. I don't, I don't think people should anymore. I know that it has a stigmatism attached to it. But um, mm. but now there's, there's so much out there that is self-published. And a lot of it is worth, despite what I was saying earlier about some of it not being great, a lot of it is worth people's time and mm. effort. And when we look at the fact that it's, it's so hard, there's so many more of us. I know this sounds a little thing to say. There's so many more of us out there writing. Yeah. Um, and there's not so many more publishers all of a sudden. There's not a, a huge amount of new books going out there yeah. at the same time. And you have authors who, who are, then they have got a, a crushing grip on their market and brilliant because their work is fantastic. Yeah. But why the publishing house turn around and go, oh, well, you know, this sounds different. Let's give it a go. It's not worth that investment. Yeah, well, I mean, I found it very interesting, um, the case, though, a few months ago when J.K. Rowling was revealed to have written... Um, a novel and done a small print of it, you know, and it was it was getting some good critical commentary, but it, not really gaining any traction. And then obviously it was slipped that it was her, and suddenly it's gone straight to the number one. And people were very cynical about why she had done this. Was it all just ultimately a big PR scam and and that kind of thing? But I think that there's there was a returning to roots. You know, you, you actually want yeah. to see get genuine feedback and indie publishing, self publishing, and in the case of very big authors, I suppose anonymous publishing gives that opportunity. I do, and I can imagine, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to be in a position one day to have to publish anonymously to see if my writing was still up to scratch. That's mm. um, about doubt I get there. <laughs> but um, in the case of J.K. Rowling, I, I, part of me thinks, yes, it was all a PR scam, etc., etc., but I felt quite sorry for her in some ways because she'd written a book that was very good. People didn't know it was her. She was getting good reviews for it, but she was hitting the same robot that everybody else who was starting out in publishing hits. And I mean, she already had to hit that once already when she um, she did the Harry Potter novels. Yeah. As soon as her name came out that she'd written it, it, it became massively successful. I mean, what must that feel like as an author? Um, it was a great book, but it wasn't really getting the sales that we wanted it to get. Yeah. Was so did she make the decision to reveal that? I mean, I would be surprised if she made that decision. Uh, well, I, I I gather lawyers are involved, and it it seems to be becoming more and more clear that it was she did not have any part to play any part in it. Um, but I I felt awful for her because that in a way that's all she can do to maintain her integrity is to try and uh, is is to to 
try try and release things and get honest feedback without people necessarily copying onto it being her. Um, where I think that that self publishing runs into a bit of a block is that without a publishing house, you know, that without the marketing, without the PR, you can have the best little gem of a of a story and not be able to convince anyone to read it. I think that must be you know, I know you're active on, on social media. How much how important is it for you to be able to engage with the people you want to read your book? Um, I like doing it but I'm I'm very um I'm very typically British and polite about things, so I find it quite awkward asking people to read my book and um it's it's quite pathetic and I, and it is just a it's a poor personality trait. But at the end of the day, writers who are good marketers are a lot fewer than I think those people who are good marketers who've written something. Yeah. yeah that's not right. But I think that it's probably a lot easier if you're good at marketing to get lots of sales to your book, mm. regardless of the item that's involved there, because it, it does seem to be a... There's a certain barrier you have to get over, and, and having the book out available... It's available all over the place at the end of the day. It's available at nearly every ebook store that you can get to, and that didn't require... Um, a great amount of effort on my part, mm. other than things like formatting techie things, which I'm normally okay with, yeah. but not everyone is. Um, but the marketing side of things, embarrassingly, I've worked in marketing and things before as well, but it's it's very difficult when it's something that's so personal. Mm. Eight people, you, you should read this, it's really good. And they go, well, did you write it? Yes, well, I'm not going to say it's rubbish, am I? And then the time that's invested, my, my biggest bugbear is People who've written books or short stories, and that's a different thing, actually, um, but people who've written books and put them online and then practically hunt down people to read their book. And you're asking for, a, for some people, a very big investment in mm. time mm. to read a book. It's, it's not, it's not a, a single, you know what I mean? It's not a music single. It's not three, four minutes of your time. Yeah. Um, it's, it can be days for some people to read through a book. Mm. Lost you there for a second. This morning I tried to um, set up the internet. <laughs> right. Well, so, sorry about that, everybody. We had a, a brief hiccup there with the uh, with the Skype connection. Um, but we were we were just talking about you know about self publishing and getting your work out there and and the the mix between writing and marketing and presumably it takes you a considerable period of time to write. How long did it take you to write Deadheads, or to have a working rough draft? For, and the and get Ted dead. And <laughs> um, get Ted dead. I gave myself. Well, it took me four years to write Dead Heads because it was the building of a world in the first place. I think, and it actually had um, a few earlier incarnations, which will be buried and never revealed 
published and another book on the way what when you look back at the process of getting deadheads from working draft final edit you know self publishing it what lessons have you learned what what are the bits of advice that you'd give yourself for book 2 um, firstly don't say you're bringing out the second book um, until you've written it yeah that's really <laughs> that was really really stupid um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, case. Um, 
but but that for the sake of a format, the war was lost. You know, it's you. Uh, it's a. Yeah. Uh, I think that's one of the real. Um, it's a real hiccup with within self publishing is uh, the 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 lack of quality controls. Um, yeah, you know, even yeah. even within within your own book, there were and and it's difficult because you're creating a world where grammar and tenses have are by nature very tricky things. But there are still the odd phrase that you know you'd sort of roll it on your tongue and go, I'm not sure if that's exactly how it is. But that's they're few and far between. In other, you know, in in other indie in in other indie books, sometimes you're reading them and they're riddled with spelling errors, and you're just sort of thinking, no matter how good the story is, if it's if it's painful to read, somebody'll stop, you know, and not everybody is obsessed like me and has to get to the end of a book, you know, people will put it down if if the myself well, and I'm and I'm guilty of those things as well. I am completely and I'm quite happy to to that there are errors in um in dead heads that I need to go through and fix yet again. Um and that's one of the bonuses of, of self publishing. But if you've got a massive market already out there of people who've already read your book and those mistakes are glaring there was one that I read recently whose main character changed name, and more embarrassingly still, it changed their name to the author's name. Oh, God. Um, yeah, which, which was horrific, and, and sadly, I, I just couldn't bear to continue reading. Um, and that, that kind of mistake, which is a slip, it's a slip. Um, it reveals a lot about what the author's doing. It really does, though, doesn't it? It does, and that, that's, it, it's quite... Um, it's quite crushing as someone who has published their work in the same way to come across things like that because it, it is a reflection on, that's a reflection on Deadheads, although it's not Deadheads, someone else's book. No, it, 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 it impinges on the reputation of it as a whole. Um, you, you know, it's, it's, I suppose it's like anything, there's so much shit out there, there are sometimes people who avoid the farm altogether rather than have to wade through it to get to the good stuff, you know? That's a wonderful way to put it, actually, that's, that's a fantastic way to put it. It's very true. That that is the case, and I think that. Oh no. I think that the point. Unfortunately, we did cut out because I was ranting by the end of that. Oh um, no, that's a shame. That would have been good. <laughs> essentially, my point is that people who are going to self-publish their books should never really expect the success that they might originally have placed on their book being published through a publishing house. Mm. It's not going to happen, and I think that. The, if the reality of it came home to a few more people, I think that the market might thin a little bit, which would help the people who are not concerned with, with the need to make money or seek fame. Yeah. In the same way. Um, and that, it would, be, it would be great if people could walk around saying, avoid self-publishing unless you know you're not going to get anything out of it, which is the sad truth, I think, that I, I published Deadheads in the hope that some people would read it. I didn't publish Deadheads in the hope that Millions of people would read it. Yeah, um, it's just unrealistic, and it's 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 the unfortunate truth, I suppose. It's it's unrealistic. I think that's going to happen. It's a it's a pipe dream, and um, what you, I mean, what nobody should be thinking that. Sadly, that they've written the next big thing because it it doesn't. It sounds really horrible. It sounds like I'm basically saying, don't hope for these things. But uh, no, you're you're saying let let your hope be grounded. Yeah. If you like, um, and I think that obviously I'm quite active with other writing websites online and stuff like that, and talking to people about what they've done and reading other people's writing that they haven't published, and trying to help them or give them ideas and avoid the sniping that goes.
Yeah. You know, the Fifty Shades. Um, Fifty Shades is a big one, um, and a and a frustrating one because surprise how often I search for deadheads and end up with a page full of erotica. <laughs> oh God! In Gloomwoods, that would not be pretty. <laughs> no, uh, and a subject I've avoided so far in Gloomwood as well. Um, and we are grateful for that. Yeah, I don't think anyone wants that to go out. Um, but it's, it's, it all stems from the same thing, which is now it's an open market for everybody. Oh, you know what? You're going to have to, though, because now I really want to know, is it still necrophilia if both partners are dead? I, see, that's the question. See, now that's going to bother me yeah. until you write it. Yeah, but what's even weirder is that you can have all your body parts changed and replaced. Yeah, but you wouldn't be doing that during. Well, not during. <laughs> you have somebody's appendage, and the next week you have somebody else's. What does that mean? Okay, I like to think that we've just gotten as gross as we're going to. <laughs> Maybe we'll put an end to that now. But, um, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> anyway. Okay, for one moment, I want you to forget that you're um, self-deprecating and dry and British. Um, you've got two sentences. Sell your book to the listening audience. Okay, you will not have read anything like Deadheads before. Um, and pick it up and it will make you laugh. It probably won't make you cry, but it will definitely make you laugh. And, um, and it's a, it is a fantastic adventure. I am a genius. You must read it. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I'm very excited um, about Get Ted Dead. And uh, although I can't entirely remember who Ted is, from you said he's in the in the first one. I'm like, really? I missed him. I think. Tiny bit. The last, last, last um, chapter. I think. Oh, that's well. I I don't feel so bad then. I w I was on an emotional roller coaster at that point. You know, I'll have to go back and and dig it out. But I'm really looking forward to reading it, and um and hopefully we'll be uh I'll be able to have a have a, a a quick look at that once it uh once it comes out. Definitely, it'll be going straight to you as soon as it comes out. First Huzzah! Course. The internet works again. <laughs> Right, well, thank you so much. And uh, to all of our listeners, thank you very much for downloading this. Um, obviously, this will be up on iTunes and the website.